be seated. Let me invite your attention to John chapter 3, verse number 16. And I want us to look at this verse, and I want us to do more this morning than merely read it. I want us to quote from the um, New King James Version. Instead of whosoever, we'll say whoever. John 3.16, we'll quote now, and we're going to say it deliberately in each word individually from the word that precedes or follows it. So we'll have a certain tempo and timing here that uh, I want you to help me to observe, okay? All right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life remember God's love. I know of one preacher that has a collection of 3,000 outlines and sermons on John 3.16. And you may ask with that bit of knowledge, why in the world would I propose to preach another one on it? Well, my thought is, is that if you can squeeze out 3,000 sermons on John 3.16, surely there's a little more left for one more. The text here is vast and wide and deep and high, in fact, as broad and great as the character of God. And John 3.16 has wisely been emphasized through the, um, through the millenniums among the people of, um, of God. Uh, Angel Martinez, the uh, Texas evangelist, used to call John 3.16 the sweetest music this side of heaven, written in the key of be saved. I like that. John Phillips calls it a great metropolis of gospel truth. John 3.16 summarizes the love of God. And that's going to be very important as we move forward in the days to come. I've got to let you know where my heart and my mind and my conscience are as I lead us forward. And that is, I will not rest until every unchurched person in this five-county region, immediately around Athens-Clark County metro region, has had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and say yes to Him, yes to Beach Haven, yes to the baptistry, yes to the teaching ministry of the church, and yes to obedience to Jesus Christ. Every one of them, and this church is going to pursue that, and we're going to do it. I want them all to hear. You know why? Because Beach Haven Baptist Church is not a museum for perfect works of art. Far from it. If you've come here today expecting to see Christians who've got it all together, I don't want to disappoint you. Some of us do, some of us don't. All of us are in process, but this is not the place for that. This is not a museum. It's a hospital for sinners. And that's what we do. That's where we are. And so we fling open the love of God to the whole community and invite them to come to Jesus on His terms, to Beach Haven, to the baptistry, obedience, and the teaching ministry of the church. And God has promised great power, great hope, great victory to those who pursue it. So I want to let you know, overall, that is where we're going as a church and everything will be dedicated to those objectives. Everything we've got in an effective and productive way. 
because of the love of God. Now, John 3.16 then summarizes in many ways the love of God. I want us to look at this uh, text word by word and uh, phrase by phrase, term by term. Uh, The first is, for God. For God. This happens to be the source of love. There are some who think that Jesus came as a sweet, saving Savior, but His Father is wrathful and angry. Well, there's some truth to that, but there is not a dichotomy between the Father and the Son. The Father also is loving, and what I want to assure you of is this. God sent the Lord Jesus Christ on a mission of love and salvation because that is what the Father Himself wanted. All of the Trinity is committed to saving mankind. Anyone who will repent and believe the gospel is, can be saved. So Jesus is not the good cop and the Father the bad cop. That's not it at all. Both are dedicated to the salvation of mankind. Both have tremendous abounding love that flows in torrents and cascades of grace and mercy. Both are committed and the Holy Spirit is as well. So the source of this love found in John 3.16 is none other than God Himself. All that Jesus did, He did because the Father wanted Him to do it. Now I need to assure you and let you know, you will be loved. And you will find love. Very few people on the earth, if ever, live without love. Too many, however, to quote one of my favorite theologians, Mickey Gilley, look for, all, look for love in all the wrong places. You will be loved. You will pursue love. You will either pursue, though, an inferior love that is damaging, destructive, or deceptive, or all three, or you'll pursue and receive the love of God in Jesus Christ and be loved more than any human could ever imagine. Well, it dawned on me after I'd been a Christian for about eight years that all of the lovelessness I'd experienced the first 16 years of my life, God made up for the first eight of my new life in Christ. And by that time in my life, I'd experienced more love than any human or, or, or than the previous 16 years of my life. And I want to tell you, God can accelerate the pace at which your heart becomes filled and saturated with His love. You may have gone on years and decades without love, but I want to assure you today, in just an instant, in just a moment, He can fill that. And that's what God loves to do. So much so, He sent His Son to bleed and die for it, is what He, is what he did. So this is the source of love for God. But then, so loved. This is the intensity of the love. You know, it's interesting. We use the word love for many different affections. The same word we use for peanut butter is the same word I use for my wife. I love peanut butter mixed with chocolate. But I don't love peanut butter and chocolate the same way I love Sherry Michelle. The loves are different. And so the truth is, is that sometimes the notion of love, the biblical concept of love, might be a little diluted in American ears. It wasn't in the New Testament. But here the word is agape. And there is an emphatic uh, word here that precedes it that indicates an intensity to God's love. In this manner, God intensely loved the world. And so this is a unique love. It's a sacrificial love. Now, speaking of American culture, I would not be surprised if in the distant future, maybe nearer than that, but at least by the distant future, Christians drop the word love from their vocabulary. 
I wouldn't be a bit surprised. And replace it with the word sacrifice. Love in the United States has become so attached to romance and to immorality and sex that it may come to a day where the word is not useful in the English language any longer to describe the love of God. The, the love that God describes here about Himself and His Son is a love that is actually sacrificial. It is a love that is willing to endure pain for the highest good and for human need. It is sacrifice. It is hurt. It is suffering. It is far from romance. It, it, it is far from immorality, obviously. It is a love that moved God to send His Son to bleed for our sins. And so this is the intensity of the Word. And, and you know, one thing I would want to ask my, my Hindu friends, with their 300 million deities, which one of those loves you? That's not a concept in Hindu theology. But it is the driving concept in Christian theology. God loves the world. So this is the intensity of the love. Now, I want you to, to do something for just a moment. I want you to think with me for just a moment. Think for a moment of your very best day. The best day of your life when you did the right thing, where everything fell into place. You conducted yourself in an honorable and noble manner. You didn't disappoint anybody. You didn't fail. Think of that day for just a moment. Now I want you to think also of your worst day. I want you to think of the day where you failed nearly everyone or everyone. Where you did or said things that broke the heart of those closest to you where you acted in ways that were perhaps scandalous and embarrassing, things that you would never want anyone to do. So have you, have you done that? Your best day when your behavior was the most noble and your worst day. I've got good news for you. God loved you as much on your worst day as He did your best day and no more. He loved you as much with as much intensity on your worst day as He did your very best. And He did not love you because of your, of your performance or behavior. He loved you because of Himself. It's like Dennis the Menace leaving Mrs. Wilson's house with a plate full of cookies. He looks over at Joey and says, Joey, you've got to understand something. Mrs. Wilson does not love us because we are good. Mrs. Wilson loves us because she is good. And I've got good news for you. Whether you're up or down, whether you're in or you're out, whether you're high or whether you're low, whether you're righteous or impure, whether you have pleased everyone in your life or disappointed them all, God's love has never flagged, it's never failed, it has never diminished a day in your life. Amen. It is an intense love. But then we've got the word the world, and that is the extent of His love. Usually when Scripture uses the world, especially in the Gospel of John, it has in mind the rebellion of the world, the sinfulness, the judgment, the condemnation, and the fury of heaven and heaven's court against the world. Or it is using it to describe His love. God's love encompasses every breathing person, no matter how hostile 
or rebellious he or she may be. And so God's love is for the world. It's for the supermodel. And it's for the granny in a wheelchair. It's for the athlete. And it's for the diabetic who is an amputee. It's for the banker and the oil man and the one on welfare. It is for the Eagle Scout and it is for the Hamas terrorist. God's love is for the world. And the good news is today, because of God's love, you can have God's love today. And that's why after the sermon, we're going to give you the opportunity to come and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, to meet the love of God that will never fail, that will never go away. And that's why we want a church and a total ministry that magnifies the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then, that he gave. This is the cost of love. It reminds me of the father who was tired of traditional Father's Day's gift. He had received the hats and the ties and the tickets and other things, and he was done with it. He wasn't impressed with the previous gifts he'd given, so he announced a couple weeks before Father's Day, this year for Father's Day, I don't want the traditional gifts. I want something that goes from zero to 306 seconds or less. And so, when he opened his Father's Day present, his family had given him some bathroom scales. <laughs> You're crying out for a new day, and God isn't going to give you something lesser. You're crying out for grace, and God isn't going to give you something less than that. A shocking and deficient gift. You're calling out for forgiveness and reconciliation. You want peace. You want some hope. And when God gives these things, they are not diminished. They are not disappointing. They are often surprising. God oftentimes doesn't do things the way we anticipate He will. His gifts aren't always as we anticipate, but they are almost always, in fact, I would say always, better than what we could ever expect, whether we understand them or not. This is the cost of God's love. Now, you may notice in the Bible, God never actually says, I love you. I've not found that yet. What he says is, in the past tense, not the present, but the past, I have loved you. Now, is that not a remarkable thing? As much as the Bible emphasizes the love of God, God almost always puts it in terms of, I have loved you in the past tense. Well, why is that? Because it makes perfectly good sense then. God first demonstrates his love and then he declares it. So there's always a real basis on which to conclude God loves us. In other words, the truth is God may have never said I have loved you. The, the Bible may have been completely absent of any notion of God's love. And yet we would still know God loves us on the basis of what he has done. How can you look at the cross of Jesus and conclude anything else? And may I encourage you, I've been through plenty of hard times myself. Many sleepless nights. Over the most important issues in life. And I want to tell you the quickest way to peace is to understand God is in the shape of a cross. God gives himself and he interacts with us even to the point of a cross. That is how God wants us to know Him. He's not esoteric. He's not ambiguous. He's not nebulous. He is crucified. That is the cost of the love of God. He gave Himself. Romans 5.8 says exactly what I'm saying here. God demonstrates His own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. That's what he says of himself. So he puts it in the past tense. So God requires then for us to know him that the sentence of his court be canceled. He's demanded as payment, as sentence for that sin, a blood sacrifice in death. And then in Jesus Christ, he performed it. At the cross, Jesus paid the cost of God's love, and he bled there by taking on the sins of the world. You don't have to bear your sin anymore before God. You can be free and liberated from guilt. You can have peace with God, is what the Bible teaches, if you'll come to Christ on his terms by repenting and placing faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus took on your sins. Do you remember that bad day you just thought of a moment ago? At the cross, Jesus became you on that day. And the Father poured out the wrath and fury reserved for that sin upon Him is what He did. One young Chinese convert was asked one time in her orientation to the Christian life and baptism and church membership. They asked her in this new members class, did Jesus Christ have any sin? And she said, well, yes. And they were horrified. And she said this, when he died on the cross, he had my sin. She was entirely correct. Jesus never sinned, but he did take on our sin. This is the cost of love. And then the text goes on to something else. For God so loved the world that he gave, but then his only begotten son. This is the quality of his love. God did not give a Moses, and God did not give... In Abraham, God did not give in Elijah. He didn't even give a Paul. He gave his only son. He crucified and sacrificed him for our sins. There, people of God and community, there is the love of God. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, the word only begotten is oftentimes, or the meaning is oftentimes lost upon American readers. We don't typically use this kind of language. But when it refers to Jesus as being only begotten, it means He is God the Father's only descendant. Now that's not to imply Jesus had a beginning. He did not. He is God. He has always existed like the Father and the Holy Spirit. But there is such a tight connection between the Father and Son is that there there is no one like Jesus. We could translate this, for God so loved the world that He gave His incomparable Son, His unique Son, His Son for whom there is no match. There is no one then like Jesus Christ. And it's not like God had a long line of sons to give to the world. And so if he loses his oldest, like David did Absalom, he can go to Amnon or he can go to the others. No, God had no son like Jesus. He gave his only son who shares, if I can put it this way, don't take this too far, who shares his DNA. That's what God did with Jesus. I remember one time when Sarah Kate was around the dinner table as we were doing our family devotions. I had each of the children and Michelle and myself quote our favorite Bible verse. And Sarah Kate ran quickly to John 3.16, and she was real small at the time. But she quoted John 3.16 like this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only forgotten Son. It's not exactly what it says, but that concept is perfect. There at the cross where Jesus died, The father turned his face away and poured out his wrath 
and consider Jesus completely unworthy of his fellowship and intimacy. That was his plan all along. This is the quality of his love. You may be searching for love in all the wrong places. You may be searching for love at the bottom of a bottle. You may be searching for love in crystal meth. You may be searching for love in something that would get you in trouble with your family or with the law. You may be searching for love in the intellect. You may be searching for love in another degree. I want to tell you, I hope that you'll do your best at the legal and right things, but there is no love like the love of God, and your soul will never be satisfied until you come to the God of love through Jesus Christ. Well, His only begotten Son leads to that whoever, this is the reach of His love, and and this is one of the This is a piece of some of the best news in all the world. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I have a question for you about this word whoever. Who is not a whoever? Is there anyone in all the earth who is not a whoever? For just a moment. uh, Humor me for just a moment. But look at your neighbor and say, you are a whoever. You are a whoever. Everyone is a whoever. Everyone we seek to reach in our community is a whoever. Everyone is a whoever. Now, I'm grateful, like John Newton, that uh, the Lord did not say in his word that if David believes in him, I would get so insecure, I would think he meant some other David and not me. And if he said David Mills, I would think, well, there are plenty of them. Certainly it's not me. But God used a word that was far more expansive to where we could not miss the message, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. William Barclay has said about this, it was the world that God so loved. It it was not a nation. It was not the good people. It was not only the people who loved him. It was the world. The unlovable and the unlovely. The lonely who have no one else to love them. The man who loves God and the man who never thinks of Him. The man who rests in the love of God and the man who spurns it. If you were to think for a moment of the person that has hurt and wounded you the most, I want to assure you God loves even that person. And on days when you are like that person, and most of us end up in that way one way or another, God loves you as well. And then believes in. These are the terms of his love. You are introduced into the saving love of Jesus Christ by believing in him. Now it comes as no surprise to you, but when children are born, it's the mother who gets the flowers and the applause and the baby gets the pacifier. (laughs) Now why is that? Why is the mother celebrated for the birth of a child? It's simple. It's the mother who does all the work. It's the mother who endures anywhere between 36 and 40 weeks of gestation. It's the mother who goes through labor and delivery. It's the mother who does all the work. She is the one that, whose body is affected. It's her. She does all the work. The baby gets no credit for the birth. And in the same way, when it comes to our salvation in Christ, God gets all the credit. We get none of it. We're the baby. He's the one that gives us the new birth, which is what chapter 3 is all about. And so there is no way in heaven or earth that we could ever take credit 
for our salvation. We don't do the works. Jesus did the work at the cross. So we are saved by a work, but it's not ours. We're saved by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And again, it's much like childbirth. Mom gets the credit. The baby gets the pacifier. So oftentimes when infants are born, about the time I see the infant, if it's a good-looking child, I'll say to the mother, good job. Mom has done a good job. This mortifies, eliminates, and executes arrogance or human pride, even that which is naive. We cannot have any hope of meeting the saving love of Jesus Christ as long as we are hanging on to the notion that we've got to do something to be made right with God. To get right with God, we do not need to read the Bible or clean up our lives or attend church or become religious or moral. All of those things are good in their place. But what comes first is staking our all on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we believe, then we can meet the saving love. Then, if we believe in Him, this is the location of His love. I remember the story about Billy Graham when he was in college. He went to preach at the First Baptist Church of a city, I believe in Florida, a small town. And when he got there, he got lost and he could not find it. And he saw a little boy in front of the town post office on Sunday afternoon and said, Uh, excuse me, son, can you tell me how to get to the First Baptist Church? And the little boy gave him directions. And then Billy said, well, um, now that you've given me directions to the church, uh, can I tell you how to get to heaven? And the boy said, mister, if you can't find the First Baptist Church, how are you going to give me directions to heaven? (laughs) Well, Billy's done a good job through the years, but I want to say the way to meet God and the location of his love is not in doubt. God has made it abundantly clear to us. If we believe in Him, and and when talking about Him, we're referring to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the Word that became flesh. He is the bread that came down from heaven. He is the water of life. He's the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, the life. He's the door. He is the good shepherd. He is the vine. And that's what He is. God is calling you to place your trust and cast your all and to stake your all in this life and the next on Him, on this one. If I was calling you to trust in me and you resisted, I I couldn't blame you. I need a Savior. And if you don't want to commit your life to me, I, I, I don't blame you. There's really just one that's ever done that. And we've been married nearly 24 years. I, I, I don't think she regrets it, but uh, in any case... Uh, She's done that merely by grace. But if you don't want to do that, I don't blame you. But I'm not calling you to trust in a mere man with a list of failures and a history of wreckage in his wake. Calling you to trust in Jesus Christ that the Father has commended to us. Then shall not perish. This is the rescue of his love. It is possible to perish. In baseball, you get three strikes. You don't get three strikes in this life. You get only one. There there are no makeup exams. In this life, we can perish. So we've got to come and come now, or the consequences and the cost are unimaginable. And the best word to use is perishing. Or another word is death, or lost, or hell. Conceptually, these are very similar. Now, I want to assure you that for those who follow Jesus Christ, this earth and this life is as bad as it gets. The sorrows and the hurts that you have experienced in this world 
are the worst you'll ever experience. After death, it only gets better. This life is as close to hell as you will ever get. And sometimes it may be a hell on earth. I understand that. But this is as bad as it gets. It doesn't get any worse than this. And then it gets better. But for those who do not know Jesus Christ, if they don't receive Him, this earth is as good as it gets. It gets no better than this. And so if they prosper and they enjoy themselves and seem to go on without consequence, understand God's being merciful. And then after death it gets worse. God does not want you to perish. And so He sent His Son and calls you now by His Spirit to say yes to Him. But shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You know the sad thing about loved ones that mean an awful lot to us? Those people that give us their love and attention, who hardly ever, if ever, disappoint us. Who set a good example. Those people who are worthy of our affections. I think of my mother's father, who's the greatest man I ever knew. He passed away nearly 20 years ago, and I have missed him ever since. I want to hear his voice again. And like he always did, I want, him to, I want him to hand me a Milky Way candy bar. You know the trouble with loved ones like that? They pass away. They die. And we have to live without them. Michelle's sister and her family this past week experienced a terrible tragedy. 18-year-old nephew, by marriage through her husband, lost his life in a single car accident this past week. He had lived with them for a while. They had lifted him up. He'd done real well. He was worthy of their affections. That's the trouble with people that um, have earned our affections our admiration, who mean the world to us. I want to say to you, when you repent and believe the gospel and come to Jesus, the body may die, but there is an eternal reunion because God gives everlasting life. And there's coming a day where there's no more sorrow, no crying, no death. The former things have passed away. All things have become new. And there's a great, glorious, permanent, eternal reunion when you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And so watch this. When, when you came to Jesus Christ, or if you come today, not only did He come into your life, but you came into His life. It's not only that the Son of God comes to live with inside of you, It's that you come to become one with Him and live inside of Him. There is a remarkable unity then that takes place 
And it's emphasized in the New Testament with the words, in Christ, you become one with Him. And it starts the moment you fling open the door of your heart and embrace Jesus as King, Lord, and Savior of your life. And if you've done that, then you may not be aware, but you're in the life of Christ. And that separation then will never be permanent. And so your life then is marked by the kind of grace and the peace that the Lord Jesus experiences. You need to appropriate it by faith, of course. But you come into the life of Christ. And so this morning, if you have not come to Christ, He invites you into His life. This includes your view of your present life. You've got to embrace what John 3.16 says, and that is presently you are perishing. You're growing distant from God. Your heart is growing weaker. Your soul is drifting from Him day by day and moment by moment because of sin. And then you've got to embrace His view of your hope. Just as, just as uh, the serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, John said in John 3, 14 and 15, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Lifted up on the cross, lifted up in the resurrection, lifted up in His ascension, lifted up in His coronation. And so you transfer your hope from yourself to Jesus Christ and lean only on Him. And this includes your view of your response. Believe in Him. Cast your poor soul at the Savior's feet. Military personnel understand this. Some to their death. When they signed recruitment papers, they were in. They were done. They had crossed the line. There was no going back. And that's what He's calling you to do today. To give yourself in the same way. Now's the time. And let's do it now. Father, we thank You for the good news of Jesus Christ and Your magnanimous love. Thank you that it never fails. It never gives up on us. Thank you that it is far beyond what we could ever describe and we could never exhaust the love of God. And I want to pray today, Father, that friends would open their lives to Jesus Christ then and say yes to Him and bow their all before Him and surrender their all to Him. Would you give them the strength, the help, the courage now to fling open the door of their heart and say yes. I pray that you would keep away distractions and doubts and devils and all other distractions and that Christ would be the focus of their faith now. For other friends that need a healing touch, a remedy for the troubles of their soul, please let them lean on you. For others that need to become part of our church, I pray they will. For others that need to follow you in baptism or surrender to ministry or missionary service, I pray they would. Thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name we pray. Now as we sing in just a moment,